As Peter said, our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, and you'll find that on page 1896 in your pew Bibles. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the whole of prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The word of the Lord. Friends in Christ, uh, we are in the midst of a series looking at uh, the virtues, the Christian virtues, uh, especially those spelled out in uh, Paul's letter, the Colossians chapter 3. And uh, this morning we are up to the virtue of patience. And uh, we'll be looking at more, more of what patience is all about. If, uh, if your life group is studying uh, these along with us, or um, if you are just uh, looking for more insight and more depth into each of these virtues, we've got accompanying uh, materials for you to take a look at. Those are all in the narthex, um, underneath there's a row of pictures and there's bookshelves underneath those. Just feel free to grab whatever materials are there. This morning we look at patience. And so, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, it was a while back, I was uh, sitting at a stoplight with a number of other people. I was sort of in the middle of the line, okay? And when the light turned green... Um, all the cars took off like you would expect them to, except for the one that was sitting right in front of me. That car just sat there. And so I was immediately confronted with a choice. Perhaps it's the same choice that you've been confronted with in the past, and that choice was, should I blow my horn or should I not <clears throat> blow my horn? And to be really honest with you, I usually blow my horn but I always check to make sure that the person in front of me isn't from our church. <laughs> that wouldn't be too good. Um, when we think of patience, usually those are the kinds of situations that we tend to think of, right? Those normal daily inconveniences that come up in life. In our minds, that's what patience is about. Patience is about waiting. 
It's about waiting without putting up any kind of a fuss, without blowing your horn, so to speak. It's waiting in line at the grocery store while the cashier goes to get a new roll of quarters, right? It's waiting at the park because your, your daughter's soccer game really didn't end at 5 like you were told, but it ends at 5.30. Or if you live in Brookfield, it's, it's waiting all the way till tomorrow night to go trick-or-treating because Brookfield sticks strictly to the October 31 date. That's what patience is to us. It's, it's a waiting. And it's waiting politely without putting up any kind of a fuss. But patience really is about more than, than just waiting. Patience is waiting, but it's waiting with a purpose. Patience is waiting with the purpose of providing enough space in which a problem can actually be resolved. When we're in traffic, for instance, we provide a little space for the driver ahead of us to figure out where the restaurant is that he's looking for, that he's staring at his phone, you know, trying to find. And when we're at the grocery store, we provide a little space for the checker to solve the problem of inadequate change. Patience is really that act of providing some space so that other actions can enter into the equation that can actually solve the problem at hand. The biblical view of patience is very similar to that. In the Old Testament, for example, uh, the word that's used for patience literally means the restraint of anger or agitation. It means to, to hold back anger, to hold back our immediate reaction or response, to keep those things in reserve. And so patience can then be described as being long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. And it's translated with such words as, as long-suffering or slow to anger. And so again, it's, it's not simply the holding back of anger, but it's the holding back of anger for a purpose, for the purpose of creating some space for other actions or other virtues to step into that situation and try to solve the problem. Other virtues like, like mercy, like healing, like education, like forgiveness. Um, Neil Planiga in various places compares patience with a fine motor oil. It's actually a New Testament comparison. The New Testament word for patience is macrothumia, which means large passion. And what Plantinga says is that motor oil, if you think about it, it doesn't remove all the contaminants in your engine. Rather, it, it puts them into suspension so that they don't get into the works and seize up your engine. And likewise, he says, patient people, you might say, have a large crankcase. In other words, they can put a lot of irritants into suspension, right? Noisy kids in the car, employees that are always clocking in late, fad, fast food restaurants that assign the teenagers who can't do math to, to uh, work the cashier's position. Patient people can put a lot of those little irritants into suspension, and the finest teacher of patience, of course, is God himself. As he describes himself to Moses, remember that in 
Exodus 34. It's come up again and again in this series. God says He is the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Slow to anger. He holds His anger back. He puts all of the irritants, all of our sin, into suspension so that there's space for His other attributes to go to work in our lives. His love, His faithfulness, His forgiveness, His correction, His discipline, His mercy, all of those things enter into our lives to change us and to heal us. We see God's ability to suffer long playing itself out again and again in Scripture, don't we? The book of Genesis, for instance, after the flood, um, God decides and He says, I will never destroy the world as with a flood again. I won't deal with your sin in this way again. He puts His anger into suspension and He instead suffers our evil. He suffers man's evil And he lets his grace and his mercy go to work. He holds it all back until when? Until the cross of Jesus Christ, of course. He deals with our sin in a different fashion. Likewise, in Matthew chapter 13, we find Jesus telling a parable to his friends about a wheat field. And he says, in this particular wheat field, not only the wheat were growing, but the weeds were growing right along with the wheat. And so servants came up. To the, to the farmer, and they said, hey, you want us to go pull up the weeds? And what does the master say? He says, no, no. If you pull up the weeds now, you may also pull up some of the wheat. And so just let the weeds grow. Be patient. There will come a day when at the harvest we'll pull them all up and we'll separate the weeds from the wheat, but we don't want to lose any of the wheat, and so we're just going to be what? We're going to be patient. It came as a surprise. It was something unbelievable to the disciples and to their peers at that time. But that's our God. There's an example of that in the New Testament, again, in the example of Paul himself. Paul is writing to his young pastor friend Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he says that, I, Paul, am a living example of the patience of Jesus Christ. You know the text, at least many of you will. I am the chief of sinners, he says, the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of all. I was persecuting the church, and yet Jesus was patient with me. And he showed me mercy instead of punishment. And his patience allowed me not only to be saved, but to become an apostle for my Lord to go out and plant churches for him, to convince others of the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And what I find, friends, exciting about that passage is how unabashedly Paul speaks about Jesus' patience. It's not like he's worried that word is going to get out that we have a patient Lord. He's not worried that, that some people might take advantage of Jesus' patience. Rather, Paul says, Jesus showed me his mercy so that he might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What Paul is saying here is 
Jesus doesn't hide the fact that he's patient. In fact, he wants everyone to know it. He wants it broadcast throughout the entire world. Go ahead, says Jesus. Take advantage of my patience. Go ahead, because I've got a goal in mind, right? And that's your salvation. I want you to be saved. And so I'm not shy about broadcasting the fact that I'm okay with putting your sin behind me for a time so that you can be saved. And friends, that flies so much in face of our world today, I think. Because we live in in just the opposite kind of world. We live in a world where we don't want anyone to take advantage of us. We live in an angry world. It's a world uh, that calls for the immediate sentence to every crime. I mean, just listen to talk radio sometime if you don't do that. Or listen to the political ads on TV right now. People are angry. We all want our pound of flesh, and we want it right now. You won't take advantage of me. Don't mess with me. That's kind of the message that comes out. Where does all that anger come from? Well, one source, I think, and probably the main source, is pride. And we've talked about, you know, the virtues and how pride seems to be the opposite of so many of these virtues. It, it, it stems the growth of, of these virtues. It bottles it all up. And, and pride is the same in terms of patience. I mean, we live in a world that values efficiency, right? That's not a, a bad thing. But we live in a world that also uh, values immediate gratification, And then you combine those two things with pride. What happens? Well, then it all becomes about my immediate gratification. Not just immediate gratification in general, but my gratification. Life becomes all about my agenda and my schedule. And it's my road, which I'm forced to share with a bunch of idiots who don't know how to drive. It's all about me, and I get to lift myself above everyone else. And pride just leads to anger. I have somewhere to get to, right? What are you doing on my road? And how do you get to put your schedule ahead of mine and let your schedule interfere with mine? Anger keeps coming up again and again. There's anger in politics because the world isn't quite the way I want it to be and the laws aren't quite the way I want them to be. It leads to anger in the church. Why can't we sing more of the songs that I want to sing? And people around me, they just aren't as holy as I would like them to be and as I expect them to be. And this is where we begin to see the interactions of things like pride and patience and hospitality, right? Hospitality, another beautiful virtue. Hospitality is about making room for others. And patience is sort of a partner of hospitality. They're both about making room. They're both about creating space for others. But then pride comes along and pride gets into the engine and it begins to gum up the works. Because pride doesn't want to make room for anyone. And so it turns to anger. And anger wants its pound of flesh right now just to prove that you don't belong where I do. Friends, pride isolates. Pride excludes. 
Patience is something that makes room. Patience allows others to take advantage of us, just like it takes advantage of Jesus Christ. Why? So that others might be saved. So that others might be included. This is something that um, foster parents have to learn. And let me tell you, learning this uh, just about sunk me um, when I was a foster parent. What often happens uh, to foster parents is that you get these children who come into your home, and even at a very, very young age, they're so traumatized by what they've been through in life already that they really don't trust any adults. And frankly, they, they just don't know how to act toward adults. And so they often act out, we say. And they act out just to sort of test what their guardians, their new guardians are going to do. How are they going to respond? What are they going to do about this? And you have to learn, you have to learn patience. You have to learn how to be patient. You can't, you can't just return um, hurtful words with hurtful words. You can't return shouting with shouting, with more shouting. You can't return anger with anger. You have to learn instead to, to hold back those initial responses, to hold back those knee-jerk responses so that a safe place is created for all of the other attributes of God's kingdom to go to work. Things like listening and affirming and things as common as routines and rituals that, that provide enough structure to life and help a child see that tomorrow is going to be as predictable and as safe as today. To let the attributes of the kingdom of God come into that situation and heal. See how patience begins actually to make room for others. It holds back the anger. It holds back the immediate reaction, the knee-jerk response, so that other things can come into that situation and heal. So this is, this is patience. But friends, patience doesn't come naturally, right? And it doesn't come simply by knowing that we have a patient God just doesn't happen. It's not like we say, well, our God is patient. I guess I'll be patient too. It's not the way it works. Patience is one of the virtues, and therefore it comes with being raised with Jesus Christ. It comes when His Holy Spirit, when, when Christ Himself is inside of us, living out our lives. It comes as we put the old, proud, angry self to death. It comes when we begin to understand in a very real and personal way that God has been patient with me. God has been patient with me. In a sense, we have to see ourselves sort of in Paul's shoes. I'm the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. I was a hater of God and a hater of my neighbors, as the catechism puts it. But instead of convicting me, instead of putting me away for life, God showed me his mercy. He showed me his patience. 
I still remember an example that uh, pastor I grew up with uh, told when I was just a kid, but he said um, he was, his wife was gone, and it was his job, which he must not have normally done, uh, to help his kids brush their teeth before bed. And uh, he gave them some toothpaste, he put it on their toothbrushes and told them to brush their teeth. Well, one of them, the oldest, was just, did not want to brush his teeth, did not want to brush his teeth, could not do it. And his father was getting more and more angry and more and more angry. You will brush your teeth. Finally, the kid brushed his teeth, went to bed, and then dad looked at the tube of toothpaste, and it was actually diaper cream. How many times, if you're a parent, how many times are there when your, when your children have had to be patient with you and just give you a little space so that your idiocy could, you know, have time to go away? That's how we, be, we need to see ourselves, that God actually had to be patient with us because we are sinners. It's that pride that tells us again and again, there's nothing wrong with me. There's no reason why God would need to be patient with me. But God is patient with us. He's long-suffering. He's slow to anger. And he was gracious toward me and to you. It's only with that attitude, friends, when we begin to understand that we are the benefactors of God's patience and His mercy, it's only with that attitude that we can then begin to approach the people around us, our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends, our strangers, you know, fellow church members, people at work. We can't be patient with any of them until we understand that God was patient with me. But when we do understand that, that's sort of the first thing. There's a second thing that comes along with that, that we need to understand. And that is, we also have to understand why it is that God is patient. And we have to learn to appreciate the reason for God's patience, the reason for why He is so patient. And that comes up in our text today, right? In, in 2 Peter 3, we find that the matter up for discussion here is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it seems that there are people in this church who are suffering persecution by, by folks who are outside of the church, right? Probably some of them are, are, are Jews or fellow Jews that have not converted yet. But they're suffering persecution, and these believers have come to interpret God's patience as divine indifference. In other words, God is not coming to our aid, and so the problem here is that God really just doesn't care. It's not that He's being patient, it's that He doesn't care about us. And so Peter has to, or, or yeah, Peter has to explain to the church why the second coming of Christ has been delayed. Why God just doesn't return into our lives to set all things right. And he says this, he says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not as if God is indifferent to what's going on in the world, says Peter. He sees the sin. He sees your suffering, says Peter. 
but he holds back his judgment so that more might be saved. He holds back his anger so that your dad and your daughter, your sister, your friend from work, your great-grandchild who hasn't yet been born, he holds back his anger so that one more might be saved. Jesus will not allow one of his sheep to be lost. If you don't understand the reason for God's patience, if you don't understand that reason, then God's patience can easily become something we take offense at, something we resent, just like in Peter's day. Think again of the story of Paul. God was patient with Paul, right? God didn't punish him immediately for his sins. He was patient, allowed him to be converted, allowed him to save others. But people suffered because of God's patience, didn't they? I mean, Paul was a persecutor of the church. Ask Stephen sometime, who was stoned to death because of what Paul had done. Ask him about God's patience sometime and what can come as a result of God's patience. A lot of us have to suffer and go through persecution because God is patient. Think of Psalm 74. I'll kind of paraphrase it for you, but this has been going on in the history of God's people for a very long time. Psalm 74 kind of says this, Lord, how long are you going to let your enemies mock you? And because they're mocking God, they're mocking all of us. And he goes on to say, when are you going to take your hands out of your pockets and do something? That's literally what the text says. When are you going to take your hands out of the folds of your robe and act? And that's how so many of us feel as we look at the abuse in this world, as we look at the injustices, as we look at the, the vandalization of God's good creation, and we wonder, why does God just stand there with His hands in His pockets, doing nothing, as if He's oblivious to it all, as if He's clueless to what's going on? And friends, this is why patience requires so much faith. Patience requires faith. Faith to understand that, well, God really is doing something. He doesn't really stand around with his hands in his pockets. Think of it this way. A few weeks ago, a lot of storms blew through the area, right? And a lot of us lost power. You're in that situation, right? You're your, um, um, your lights aren't on, your stove doesn't work, your sump pump is out, and you're worried about your basement flooding. It's one thing if you're waiting for the power to, to come back on and We Energies gives you a call, right? And they say, hey, we understand the power is out. There's a tree that fell in your area a couple blocks away. It'll take about two hours to get your power restored. It's like, oh, I guess I can wait for that. You know something's going on, right? you know someone's trying to resolve the problem. But if you don't get that phone call, if you don't hear anything from We Energies, if it's like they don't, you don't even know if they know there's a problem, that's when it's hard to be patient. That's when it's hard. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you know what? In the kingdom of God, that's often the way it is. 
That's often the way it is. He says the kingdom of God, you have to trust that God is bringing it in because you don't always see it. It's like yeast in a batch of dough. It's happening, but you don't always see it. It's like planting seed in the ground. You plant it, and then you wonder, is anything happening? And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so you need faith to believe that, yes, God really is at work. Friends, it's one thing to have patience when we see people pouring into the church, when we see other people or sinners being converted and brought to Jesus Christ, and we, we see the evidence that, yeah, God, God is doing incredible things. He's at work. It's totally different to be patient when our churches are declining, when people are leaving faster than they're coming in. And we wonder, where is God? Why are his hands in his pockets? We baptized Eloise this morning, and we trust that God is going to be working in her life in so many ways, right? Through her parents, through her Sunday school teachers, through the people who take care of her in the nursery, through their small group, through the elders, indeed, through all of us, right? And yet, some of us have children who were baptized here in the same way. And it just doesn't seem like the gospel is, is getting through. It doesn't look like there's a response. And we wonder, where's God? Why doesn't he take his hands out of his pockets and do something? And that's when it requires faith to be patient. Jesus is patient, yes, but he always has a goal in mind. He can put our sins behind us, but he wants us to be working like God is working at bringing sinners to repentance. Jesus doesn't say, well, it's okay, you know, just, just let sin go on and we're not going to worry about it. No, he says, I'm going to hold it back for a time and I'm going to allow my mercy to go to work and I'm going to allow my gospel to go to work I want to tell people that I suffered in their place, that I took their sin upon my own head so that they will be saved, not just going on in their sin. And friends, we need that kind of faith in our lives, faith to understand that God is at work and therefore I will be at work too. And I will continue to love my enemies. And I will continue to speak kindly even when people do not speak kindly to me. And I will continue to forgive when people sin against me. Why? So that others might be saved. Because I trust that God really is at work. And this is what he has commanded me to do. This is how he has called me to live. And so friends, don't lose heart. Keep the faith, the faith that God is really at work in this world, that his hands are active. And may your faith in him give you the strength to be patient with those around you. And may your faith in him lead you to trust that 
when you provide some space for others, that God really is at work bringing others into his kingdom and bringing his kingdom to others. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Clothe yourselves with patience. Amen. We're going to spend some time again just reflecting on God's call to put on patience, to clothe ourselves with patience. We're going to uh, throw some verses up on the screens behind me. Please just spend some time reflecting and then we'll sing a song of commitment uh, together. Oh 